What's up, everybody? Thank you all for hitting that download button and joining us for another episode of Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors, episode 28, covering the Halloween editions of both WWF Superstars and WCW Saturday Night from October the 31st, 1992. And this wonderful show is brought to you in part by the great folks over at the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find that over on Podbean by searching Retromania with a W, and you can find all the great shows on that network, like this one, Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors, Kicking Out at Two, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, Hulkamania's Dead, Origins of Attitude, and other great bonus content all over there on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. And... Roll call out there. If anyone is interested in, uh, in in being a part of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, if you got a podcast, if you got a voice, if you got an opinion, then come on down, slide in our DMs, and hit us up and let us know that you got the chops, you got what it takes to be a part of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. If you got a wrestling-centric mind, if you love to talk about pro wrestling, then bring it. Bring it to our network. Let me hear what you got. And uh, we'd love to have you on the team and grow and build this network of wrestling podcasters out there. Trying to create a fun, positive environment and atmosphere. Just like I do over on Kicking Out It Too, which you can find over on Facebook and Twitter. Our Facebook handle is, uh, our Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash Kicking Out It Too. You can hit that like button. You can find links to archive shows, pictures, videos, GIFs, debates, discussions, all kinds of great, fun, interactive stuff over over there on the retro or excuse me on kicking out at two over on facebook and our twitter handle is at kicking out two k-i-c-k-n-o-u-t and the number two we do all the same stuff on facebook but we do it on twitter in a little more constructed environment twitter's not as big as facebook gotta crawl before you walk and walk before you run so uh give us a follow over there so we can help make that happen um and like i said earlier links to archive shows up on the Kicking Out at Two streams, you can find last week's show, which covered the Trading Places Halloween Havoc 1994 series, where we discussed the possibilities of Ric Flair retiring Hulk Hogan in that steel cage main event match from that Halloween Havoc, plus all the other role reversal scenarios from that card on Halloween Havoc 1994. This week, we got... Halloween Havoc 1997 Watch Party. Chris Donovan joined me recently. We sat down, we watched that show, and then some, and we uh, we, we talked about all kinds of crazy stuff while we watched it on WWE Network. And next week, we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to go, I'm, I'm not quite sure yet what, what what we have planned, but with Survivor Series on the, on, the, on the horizon and with the announcement of the NXT War Games, I'm not sure if we're going to do a Survivor Series theme show or we're going to do a War Games theme show. But tune in next week. We may have a Survivor Series show. As a matter of fact, what we're thinking of in terms of Survivor Series over at Kicking Out of Two, we're thinking of doing a Survivor Series fantasy draft uh, where we draft up our, 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 our favorite competitors from Survivor Series history. We make our individual Survivor Series dream teams. I got a point system all planned out, just trying to get a bunch of guys together so we can have a little fun and kind of create that fantasy sports feel when it comes to pro wrestling, especially um, you know Survivor Series time with all the team concepts and everything else. So that's what we're going to kind of do if we bring you the Survivor Series uh, podcast next week. If not, we're going to do a special War Games watch party that was voted by all the listeners on Kicking Out at Two, and I'm sure all of you on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. My brother Justin's going to join me, and we are going to watch the 1996 War Games match from Fall Brawl that year. It was the NWO against WCW. WCW was represented by Ric Flair, Lex Luger, Arn Anderson, and Sting against the NWO's team of Hollywood Hogan, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Sting. 
So you'll have to find out what that's all about by joining us for that watch party. Either way, whichever show drops next week, the following week we're going to get that other show. So for the next two weeks, we've got Survivor Series and War Games on the horizon. So that's what you can find over there on Kicking Out at 2. And without further ado, let's get into this week. Let's get into... Um, Let's get into WWF Superstars because I'm really jazzed up about this. Um, but before we do all that, let me just uh, give you guys a little heads up. I'm flying solo again this week because uh, you know real life got in the way and uh, Kobe's got to go handle some things and and uh, so you know he asked me to uh, take care of the reins here and I'd be glad to do it because Kobe's my buddy. Um, hopefully he comes back next week and we can uh, we, we we can chit the chat and um, chop it up when it comes to uh, Superstars of Saturday Night from 1992. So uh, you know now that I got that out of the way. Um, um, let's get into it this week. WWF Superstars, October the 31st, 1992, from Saskatchewan, um, Canada, the Saskatoon, or Saskatchewan Center in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. That's a, that's a mouthful. Um, we open up with, uh, Mr. Perfect and Vince McMahon cutting to a live shot of Bobby the Brain Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon on Wrestling Challenge as they're going to be the ones calling the action for the Tag Team Championship match that was announced last week between the Natural Disasters and Money Incorporated. Um... I thought that the simulcast coverage for this match was unique and it felt a little more special. I didn't know that this happened, so this was kind of cool going back and watching this because um, I didn't know that this happened. Um, before the match, the Nasty Boys came out to confront Jimmy Hart. They're pretty pissed that they uh, they got passed over on that title shot. Uh, money Incorporated tries to buy them off with some money. Um, they take the money. Then they beat down Money Incorporated. Um, and then as they leave, uh, the Nasty Boys... Uh, uh, are greeted by the natural disasters making their way out to the ring. Um, this match here, it was it wasn't a bad match. It was a solid match. There was some good heat into it. Um, there was a reason for the, the 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 fans to 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 hate on the the Jimmy Hart and Money Incorporated against the natural disasters because of the way they snuck themselves into the title match. I thought it was interesting of the uh, when it came to the head shrinkers and their involvement in the match. I thought um, you know. We hadn't seen them in this timeline yet, although it seemed like they have appeared on other WWF programming at the time because they, they mentioned these guys like they've been on before. So, uh, you know, it was interesting that they got involved here and helped Money Incorporated become the new WWF Tag Team Champions over the Natural Disasters. Like I said, this is a good storyline. The match itself was it was okay. Um I guess, you know, turning the Nasty Boys was probably the right call because they were kind of teasing that friction between Jimmy Hart and his two tag teams within his camp. Um, and the Nasty Boys getting involved and, uh, um, you know, making it making it known that they weren't happy that Jimmy Hart turned on them, got them instant, instant babyface cheers from the audience. Um that post-match stuff with um, the Nasty Boys confronting Jimmy Hart on the uh, announce table with Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan and throwing him off into the, uh, the the pile of referees and Money Incorporated, I thought it was some pretty fun stuff. Um, really got the action started hot and heavy uh, when it came to um, when it came to uh, this uh, you know the, the, this episode of Superstars. Uh, we go to commercial. We come back and the announcers are talking about the tag team title situation um, as we see the debut of Yokozuna with Mr. Fuji. Uh, Yokozuna defeating one Bill Jodoin, or Jodoin, I forget how you pronounce his name. Um, 
you know, signature Yokozuna spots, the belly-to-belly suplex, um, and then, of course, the bonsai, bonsai drop splash for the win. Uh, this was a pretty standard squash match, but a good way to debut Yokozuna. Um, and, you know, they really put him over on commentary as being, like, a major force in the WWF. It seems to be a trend and a pattern that Vince was going with youth and newer, younger stars. Razor Ramon, a few months prior, came in red hot, and he's a part of the top angle in the WWF. Yokozuna coming in pretty strong. It sounds like he's going to be a major player for the WWF at that time. I thought it was good stuff. Um, then we get a look at last week's confrontation between The Undertaker and Nails, which I said on last week's show, I thought this was good stuff, and it was uh, the highlight of that episode of Superstars. Um, and then we get a vignette of Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam Bigelow is returning to the WWF. Um, according to Bigelow, he's coming back to the WWF to get more exposure because the current independent scene is terrible. Um, plus, his New Japan deal had ended from what I've been reading in my research. Um and so, uh, yeah, um, Vince was looking for more talent, and you know Bigelow was, you know, a relatively new face to the audience at the time in '92, even though he'd been in the company before. Um, so, you know, he, he's he, he's back, and you know, I thought this was another good portion of the show. They've been on a roll here on this episode of Superstars with the tag title situation, Yokozuna's debut. We're gonna get a return of Bam Bam Bigelow. Like they're just, you know, coming, you know, shooting right out of the bullpen. It's unbelievable. Uh, Next match we have here is the undefeated Native American Tatanka going one-on-one with Dusty Wolf. Um, nothing really to see here when it comes to the in-ring action. Tatanka gets the victory with a Samoan drop in 2 minutes and 37 seconds. But the real development in this match is the the, the fact that they cut to the, uh, the audience and we see a clown in the stands, uh, which would later become Doink. Uh, they don't mention him by name on commentary, but uh, this was an interesting development. Um, more stuff happening on this episode. It just seems like every segment something big is taking place or something um, uh, you know, noteworthy. Because it seems like these, these episodes of Superstars that we've been covering, and I think Kobe can attest to it, there really isn't a whole lot of noteworthy um, action taking place. But uh, in this instance here, um, Tatanka, um, or the, the Tatanka match... Um, you know, has has something noteworthy with a nut with the introduction of a new character in Doink the Clown. Um, they they play up his undefeated streak on commentary, but they really put a little more focus on you know this clown's presence in the audience. Um, we then go to the interview interview platform with the debut of the inter, of uh, Joe Blevins or Bevins. Um, I think this is the only time. Uh, you know his name was mentioned um uh, his real name is joe aiello who uh from what i've been hearing and my research he got a job due to uh, nick bockwinkle and uh he did some promoting in canada um, but he's currently a morning drive radio host in winnipeg which uh that's pretty interesting so uh they went local for uh looking for talent i guess uh, going with that youth he had that young look uh, maybe vince was trying to get rid of mean gene sooner um anyhow um he brings out Ric Flair and Razor Ramon, and Flair talks about how Razor knows how to survive more than anyone, and then Razor tells the Ultimate Maniacs that just because Flair doesn't have the title does not make them a lesser team. Razor also says that they don't need no stinking belts to prove that that we're going to beat the Maniacs at Survivor Series. Um... Flair is Flair is good here on uh, in his interview. Really hyped up, still you know, uh, worked up over his loss to Brett, but you know, focusing on the task at hand. That is the ultimate maniacs at the Survivor Series. Um, 
Like I said, in recent weeks, I was a little disappointed that this match was just a straight-up tag team match. I was kind of hoping that they were going to build off that whole Survivor Series theme. Um, but they didn't. And uh, speaking of Survivor Series, we got the Survivor Series report with Mean Gene Oakland announcing some new matches on the uh, the Survivor Series report. We get the Big Boss Man uh, taking on Nails in a nightstick on a pole match. And Rick the Model Martel going one-on-one -on -one with Tatanka. Kobe! If you're listening, my man, it's finally happening. They are they are finally going to blow off this storyline when Rick Martell stole Buffalo Breath's feathers. It's great. You should be a very happy guy. <laughs> um, we then get a pre-tape promo of The Undertaker and Paul Bearer inside their workshop as they're making the custom coffin for Kamala, hyping up the coffin match that's set to take place on that Survivor Series card. And then we get a public service announcement from Hacksaw Jim Duggan, reminding us to go out and vote because uh, that was a big thing back then it still is now they, they, they still kind of do that stuff um, not as much because you know WWE doesn't want to really entrench themselves in politics but um, they had the smack down your vote years ago and they used to always have little campaigns of having the wrestlers go out and encouraging young people to go out there and vote and have your voice be heard and all of this stuff so it's you know this is a this is an old uh, old strategy in Vince's playbook uh, to, to, to have his wrestlers um, aggratiate themselves to the audience and especially to the younger audience. Um, we then get Shawn Michaels coming out for his match against Steve May. Um, and he's shown in one of those picture-in-picture -picture promos talking about how he's going to beat Bret Hart for the World Championship at the Survivor Series as he keeps looking into the mirror that Sherry's holding up. Um this is probably my favorite segment of the show here. Sean poses in the mirror, and all of a sudden, we see Marty Jannetty make his return, hop over the guardrail, get in the ring, and stand behind Sean as Sean looks in the reflection of the mirror, and Sean starts to freak out. Then we see Marty put the boots to him, and he beats on Sean and goes to grab the mirror from Sherry. But as he tries to whack Sean, Sean pulls Sherry in front of him, and Sherry gets the mirror cracked over her head, which was a, a, a huge deal back then. You didn't see a lot of male-on-female violence. Um, especially in the WWF at that time. Considering what they were going through or what they were about to go through with the steroid trial, um, that was an interesting uh, interesting storyline development that they inserted into this show. Um, Sean Bales, as, the, um, as Sherry's out, and uh, Jannetty looking visibly upset that he hit a woman, especially with the mirror over the head. Um, and then, of course, you get Vincent... Mr. Perfect on commentary, kind of going back and forth, and Perfect talking about he deliberately hit Sherry and Vince saying it was an accident, and um, they get the freeze frame replay of it, and uh, uh, I'll tell you, man, it was it was um, it was a pretty cool segment, you know, with Janetti's return kind of being out of nowhere. He wasn't alluded to on commentary. He was out for a while. Last time we saw him, Shawn Michaels threw his head through the barbershop window in January of '92 um, on an episode of Wrestling Challenge. Um, that originally was supposed to lead to a Sean Marty, um, uh, match at WrestleMania that year, but that didn't happen due to some issues Marty Jannetty was having. I believe management kind of let him go. I, I don't know if there was drug related issues or, um, you know, personal issues, but there was something going on with him and they decided to part ways and they went, you know, with the unfortunate route of Shawn Michaels and El Matador for that WrestleMania. Um, they kind of downplayed Sherry being uh, being hit with the, uh, the the mirror for a little bit, uh, even though they showed like shots of her like on the stretcher and um, you know uh, the, 
the, the, the medics attending to her, they really talked more about Marty Jannetty's return and the, um, the, the impact it had. Um, but, uh, yeah, this was, a, this was a great segment. This was... It, it, it made the show for me. The best thing about the about this whole episode of Superstars was this. Um, and then we go to commercial and we come back. And, uh, you know, next week we're going to have a special interview with the big boss man discussing his nightstick match with Nails at Survivor Series. And also in action, the Head Shrinkers, uh, Money Incorporated, defending the WWF Tag Team Championships against High Energy. And then we get to a pre-tape where we hear from Jimmy Hart as he is irate over the Nasty Boys, not only turning on him, but how Jack Tunney is forcing his tag team to defend the titles one week after they won. Um, he says it's not fair because they do not have time to celebrate. And uh, overall, when it comes to this show, man, a lot of stuff happened on this episode of Superstar. Tag titles change hands. The Nasty Boys turn babyface. We saw a few debuts. Um, a return of Marty Jannetty. I mean... the this episode of Superstars, I'll go on record saying it was the best episode of Superstars we have ever covered on this show from the beginning of this concept, this Weekend Warriors concept. It was the best one. It was the most action-packed, and the, the storyline progression was the best it's been. So uh, kudos to uh, you know WWF Superstars from October the 31st, 1992. All right, this week's one and done for me from... The not-so-Wednesday Night Wars between AEW's Dynamite and WWE NXT is a positive um, a positive retrospective on something that just struck me uh, from Wednesday night. And that comes from AEW, and more in particular, the Cody Rhodes-Tony Schiavone, Tony Schiavone, excuse me, that's, that's easy to say, um, limo ride segment um, that led into the Cody Jericho contract signing. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, it's an obvious nod to the Ric Flair Mean Gene limo ride segment from Starcade '93 when they were um, building up the importance of the retirement match with Ric Flair and Vader for the world title on that pay per view. Um, and I have, I've noticed since this launch of AEW, um, you know, as much as Cody says it's not about his father, um, a lot of the things he does, um, at least it appears to me that it is about his father. Um, a lot of things that his father taught him, a lot of things his father did as a booker and as a person within management in the wrestling business and as a performer, a lot of that stuff is all about his dad. Um, and some of that stuff can be like, you know, done to death and, you know, who am I to tell someone to grieve? Cause that's not my place at all. But I feel like sometimes it's overdone just a little bit, but he's been, uh, he's been dipping into his old man's playbook when it comes to, uh, you know, some of the old Jim Crockett WCW stuff we've been seeing on the, um, on the programming, uh, they brought back Tony Schiavone, which I thought was a great move. I'm a big Schiavone guy. Uh, listen to his podcast. Haven't listened to quite some time, but um, big Schiavone guy. Uh, Keith Mitchell in production. Just some of the little things you can kind of see in the TV uh, presentation that he's taken from his father. Um, and sometimes that stuff's been, you know, blatantly obvious and almost in many ways done at nauseum. But then when it comes to this and the limo ride, um, I thought this was done pretty well. Um, you know, it's funny. When uh, I saw the picture that Cody posted on his Instagram with Shivani inside the limo, it was probably about maybe, I'd say about 15 minutes before uh, they they, uh, they went on the air. And uh, in my head, the first thought, thing I thought was, 
They're going to do the flare Mean Gene Starcade limo ride. Ha, ha, ha. Funny, funny. So I sent the picture of the post to my brother and my buddy Dennis, who are contributors to uh, my podcast, Kicking Out It Too. And um, my brother was like, he just couldn't help himself. Could he? Um, Dennis didn't respond. Thanks, Dennis. Appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> um, anyhow, um, I honestly thought that it was a... Uh, it was a it was a, a really good segment. Um, they talked about the importance of Cody's family heading into this match, and um, you know what Baltimore means to Cody and the Rhodes family, and um, this journey that Cody is on as a performer and as an executive in AEW going into this title match, and the history that Cody and the, the Rhodes family have with Tony Schiavone, who was in that limo. Um, that was really well done. I, I really did. Um, and like I said, 15 minutes before air, I thought I didn't know that they were going to do that. I just saw the picture and I thought, oh, this is, you know, like I thought it was a joke, like, haha. And um, they, it ended up being a really good segment. Um, just brought a lot of, uh, uh, you know, emotion into the, uh, the character, um, whether it was uh, worked or not. Um, different story but um you know like i said before cody has taken a lot of what his father's done as an executive as a wrestler as a performer um and he's kind of brought that into his body of work as an executive as a performer um and sometimes i feel like it's just overdone be cody don't be dusty's kid you know, and I think he's trying to get out of that shadow a little bit. That's why he's not referring to himself as Cody Rhodes. He's just referring to himself as the American Nightmare Cody, which I think is I think is a good move. Um, but uh, in this instance here, this was a pretty good segment. So uh, my one and done this week is the Tony Schiavone Cody American Nightmare Cody limo ride that brought us to the contract signing on AEW Dynamite. Bravo job well done and uh hope to see more stuff like that um in the very near future all right wcw saturday night 605 p.m eastern standard time only on wtbs from center stage in atlanta georgia october the 31st 1992 we open this show with uh, tony Schiavone doing a voiceover with video pack video clips highlighting what we're going to see this evening a one-on-one match between vinnie vegas and marcus bagwell we're also going to see beautiful bobby eaton taken on eric watts plus the um we see a clip of of uh, Paulie Dangerously and Medusa having a verbal and physical altercation at last weekend's Halloween Havoc 1992 pay-per-view. There will be more to discuss on that front later on in the program as we get right to the action on this episode this week as it's Marcus Alexander Bagwell going one-on-one with Vinny Vegas. And uh, these guys have had a little bit of an interaction in the last few weeks on uh, WCW main event along with Diamond Dallas Page. Um... So they've kind of carried this over and continued with this. Bagwell is coming off of um, not only being attacked by Scott Steiner in a tag team match, but also Arn Anderson, who got involved in that match that resulted in Steiner turning on him, breaking his nose. Um, but the the real nose injury actually came from, I believe, an elbow from Nash, or excuse me, Vinny Vegas, um, on a recent episode of uh, Saturday Night between the two of them, so um, I think that's where it really came from, uh, not the not the Arn attack as they're they they're trying to claim um, on television in the in this match here. Um, you uh, yeah, this match really it was okay. It was um, it it was what it was. Um, I didn't have any high expectations for it. Um, 
it's kind of funny that, um, you know, now, you know, looking back, you know, 20 some odd years later, um, you have, uh, you know, Kevin Nash, who played the Vinny Vegas character, doing things that he wouldn't do later on in his career when he became a more established star. Um, you wouldn't see him uh, do a knee drop off the top rope, um, you know, or, or yeah, just you, you wouldn't see him do any of that stuff. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see what he was doing in his younger years to get noticed more when it comes to his in-ring work. Um yeah, we get a um, a roll of the dice by uh, Vinny Vegas, sending Bagwell face first into the post, and then he covers him for the win. Um, I thought this match, like I said, it was what it was, but I think it was a little too long. If they shaved about like four or five more minutes off of this match, I think this would have been probably the best outing these two had with each other um, during this period of time, but it was really nothing to write home about. Um, we then get an interview with um, Jim Ross and Teddy Long as they bring out Johnny B. Bad. Um, and as Johnny B. Bad is uh, going into his spiel about returning to WCW, because um, he had taken some little sabbatical at one point, um, Scotty Flamingo makes his way out. And Scotty Flamingo and Johnny B. Bad have some words over who's the prettier one. Um, dressing the same with the makeup and the mascara. Um, yeah, this is a pretty stupid segment. I'll be, I'll be real. I'll be real honest with you. Pretty dumb segment here. Um, and it's really tough to watch <laughs> this Scotty Flamingo character, um, especially what Scott Levy, the, the human being has done as the Raven character. Um, just the, 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 the accent in his voice and he you know he was uh, I just I hated this I absolutely hate this I wasn't the biggest Johnny B bad fan either so I didn't really care for this at all and I felt like these guys didn't have the best chemistry a few months prior we, we did some uh, some some recaps of their rivalry a few months prior on marking out the day's weekend warriors and I just thought this was um, you know a rehash that didn't need to be rehashed to be perfectly honest with you let these two go their separate ways because it just didn't it didn't do it for me um, up next Tex Slashinger and Shanghai Pierce defeat Rex Cooper and David Lynch um, Let's just say this match sucked. Um, it, it would actually—I'm sorry—it would have to suck for it to be an improvement. Let's just put it that way. Um, and honestly, what's worse than Henry Godwin wrestling? Well, Henry Godwin wearing a mask that he can barely see in when he's executing these moves. So uh, yeah, that's that. Um, didn't really make a strong presence in the tag team division um, as as a, as a unit in WCW at this time, um, but. This was the part of their build to becoming mainstays on the show, I guess. Um, go to commercial and come back, and we get Brian Pillman going one-on-one -on -one with James Klontz. Um, and this was an okay match. It was a solid squash by Pillman uh, coming off um, that match at the pay-per-view with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, which I thought was a pretty damn good match, considering it was thrown together at the last minute because of some injuries. Um, yeah, this was a solid squash by Pillman here. Um, Pillman really adding more of a darker, more of an attitude to his to his persona. Um, you know, the, the originator of the punt, uh, delivering a, uh, a, a punt post-match to Mr. Klontz here. Um, and, and that pretty much ends that match. Um, 
The post-match here, we have Shane Douglas running out, and he tries to attack Pillman, but security gets involved, and they stop him. And then Douglas says that, you know, it's 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 about time we end this tonight and uh, challenges him to a match. Um, and as Douglas goes to leave, just like every babyface does, he turns his back on the heel, and Pillman attacks him from behind. Um, and then they, they, they continue to brawl um, as we cut to a pre-tape of Bill Watts. And Bill Watts is thanking all the fans um, that attended Halloween Havoc 1992 and thanking the fans that ordered the pay-per-view at home because this is the most purchased WCW pay-per-view in history um, at that time, which, to be honest with you, it's not hard to believe. I mean, on paper, that was a pretty good card. You know, Jake the Snake and Sting, uh, Rick Rude and uh, Masa Chono, Vader and Nikita Koloff, Dustin and Barry versus Dr. Death and Stunning Steve, Pillman and... Uh, um, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. You had um, Ron Simmons and the Barbarian for the world title. I mean, um, for the most part, I thought this was a pretty damn good show. Um, but it, aside from the fact that we had a fucking Coal Miners Club match, um, yeah, on paper, it's a really strong show. So um, I could see why a lot of people would have ordered this. Um, he, he talks about meeting all the fans that weekend and saying um, how those fans told him that WCW is so much better than the competition, and he likes that WCW that the fans like WCW not being very cartoonish like the competition, um, which is kind of interesting that Watts discloses that conversation with fans because um, did those fans not see the fucking main event? <laughs> a spin the wheel make the deal with a coal miner's glove and then the snake bites Jake the snake in the throat come on that's not cartoonish okay um, speaking of that he talks about Jake and his snake and he says that reptiles are now banned from ringside um, I'm sure he uh, picked that up out of Jack Tunney's playbook a few months prior um, and he said that uh, that's not what wrestling's all about. So no more reptiles at ringside. Okay. All right. Um, and then we get a announcement for um, the King of Cable Tournament. WCW officially announces this tournament. Basically, the winner's going to get a nice little purse, you know, a nice little bag of money, you know, purse money, I guess you could call it. Um, knowing Watts, it actually might have been an actual purse he stole from someone. Um, a shitty looking trophy that he bought at a bowling store, and a plaque and a display at the CNN Center, which, by the way, none of this happened at all. It was just a big excuse to put Sting Invader on a Starcade and have no meaning to the match. So, <laughs> um, but here are the brackets created by um, the WCW magazine. Um, we have at number one, the top of the bracket, Sting. He's going to be facing the number eight seed, Brian Pillman, which should be an interesting match. Number three, we have Barry Windham going one-on-one -on -one with Ravishing Rick Rude. Another uh, gr another good uh, matchup here. Um, Jake the Snake and Dustin Rhodes. Um, Jake the Snake at number two, Dustin Rhodes at number three. And then this one I was scratching my head at here. Number four, Big Van Vader facing the number five seed, Tony Atlas? Tony Atlas. The guy who got called at the last minute to replace Butch Reed in this weird little stable that Cactus Jack put together. And he brings his workout sweatpants, tucks them into his wrestling boots, and then grabs a big fucking whiteout marker and draws skull and bones on his fucking gym shirt. Really? This is who you're going to put in the king of cable tournament. You had Ricky Steamboat 
stunning Steve Austin, Arn Anderson, beautiful Bobby Eaton, all these great names, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, Nikita Koloff. Fuck, I would have put Shane Douglas in it with the way that they were pushing him on TV. Shane Douglas. But you put in fucking Tony Atlas. Yeah, I got no words. I got no words for that. Um, yeah, that's the King of Cable Tournament. So that's something we have to look forward to in the coming weeks here on Marking Out the Day's Weekend Wars. Hopefully, I'm fucking praying to God that Tony Atlas got eliminated first or he got so fucking high they missed his booking and they replaced him with somebody else to then lose to Vader. Um, we get a random interview with a shirtless Eric Watts who's on the beach in his dull, boring drone, drone voice saying he wants to be the WCW champion. Okay, yep. I mean, you know, hey, at least it's realistic. Like, he's shooting for the stars, even though he sucks. You know, he wants to be the champ. So, I mean, if you're if you're a wrestler and you don't want to be the champ, then you shouldn't be there. So, um, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, next match here, we have Johnny Gunn going one-on-one with Fred Avery. Um, once again, crickets when Johnny Gunn makes his way out to the ring. Nobody's really interested in him. Um... Yeah, he gets the win with a missile drop kick over Fred Avery. Um, nothing to see here because uh, Johnny Gunn is uh, nothing happening. Okay, so that's that. Um, then we get a recap of all the, um, the the issues going on between Ravishing Rick Rude, Medusa, and Paul E. Dangerously, uh, which, by the way, um, is a very interesting um, sequence of events that had taken place, and I've kind of recapped them a little bit these last few weeks here between Paulie kind of being absent from the Dangerous Alliance to then, um, you know, putting Rick Rude in compromising matches and situations that could jeopardize his title reign to the friction he has with Medusa. Um, to me, it almost sounds like they were they were that this this issue that they were having here was setting up Rick Rude to turn babyface. Um, which I've heard over the years in, in numerous shoot interviews from other from other guys that Rude had always wanted to be a babyface. He wanted to give it a try, and he was so good as a bad guy that the promoters, the bookers, whoever was in charge, told him you, you, it's just not going to work. Um, and so uh, I wonder if this was a case here where um, Rick Rude pitched the idea about turning babyface, and they were kind of going that direction, but. Um, they, 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 they changed plans. Uh, I don't know, but it's something to ponder. Um, we then get a video recap of the interview from last week with Cactus Jack and Tony Atlas talking about Ron Simmons and the World Championship um, with Tony trying to cut a promo about Ron not being black enough or talented enough to be the World Champion in wrestling. But since WCW at that time was trying to be so cutting edge, um, they uh, they bleep over 75% of the interview, even though you can read his lips and see that he's not even cursing, um, let alone saying anything controversial. Um, then we get hard work Bobby Walker coming over and asking Atlas why he's saying this and why he can't be proud of his black brother. Um, Cactus tries getting in between them, and then Walker shoves him away, saying, you're not black enough to be involved in this. So Cactus attacks him. Um, Atlas... Puts him in the full Nelson. He passes out. And uh, then we get to this next match. Like I said on last week's show, when I talked about this a little bit, um, this was a little uncomfortable. This was a little... 
Uh, you know, I was kind of surprised that, that that they went this route. I'll, I'm, I really am, considering the the, the history of um, Turner executives and um, how hands on they were with wrestling at times, and how they 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 there you things that you wouldn't think they would get involved in or get mad about, they would stay away from. But things that you would think that they would want to to police. They don't go near, and this was one of those situations where I was like kind of surprised. Um, yeah, so uh, th- th- like I said, just not to me. Race has never been um, something that I feel is a feel is uh, has a place in wrestling. I just really don't. I'm sorry. Um, it's an uncomfortable subject, and you know, wrestling's supposed to be an escape uh, for, for for wrestling fans and for people that watch it. And I don't feel like a racially charged um, storyline or um, character um, does that for fans when they're watching. I really don't, because it, it it stirs up a lot of emotions, and you can get people of different ethnicities and different backgrounds bickering with each other over wrestling. And I just don't think that, you know, race has a place in wrestling whatsoever in terms of, you know, racially charged storylines. Um, all about equality and everyone uh, having a role in the show, no matter what race, race sexual, gender, um, uh, ethnicity you are. Um, but just the, the, the it's, it's just uncomfortable stuff for me, at least. Um, maybe for some fans, they like it, but I just didn't think this was necessary. Um we get to a match this time. It's Cactus Jack finally wrestling. God damn, why weren't you wrestling Ron Simmons for the world title? Um, he's accompanied by Tony Atlas to take on hard work Bobby Walker. Um, and uh, this actually wasn't a bad match. Um, Walker is actually uh, pretty good at selling and taking a good beating from Cactus. Um, and, uh, yeah, Cactus... Um, you know, really puts it to Walker, and it's almost kind of like a reintroduction of Cactus Jack because he had been Barbarian's motivator for so long. Now he's actually back in action, and we're kind of getting to see, you know, the old Cactus Jack um, from an in-ring standpoint. Um, at one point, he does a running senton off the ring apron onto Bobby Walker, who was outside on the floor. Um which I thought was pretty impressive. And then uh, Atlas uh, gets his hands on him while the referee's distracted and beats him up, throws him back in there, and then Cactus ends it with a double-arm DDT. Um, and uh, that was the end of the match there. Cactus Jack, your winner. Um, we then get another up-close segment with Tony Schiavone, and he sits down to interview Dustin Rhodes and... Um, I thought this was going to be more about the Dustin Barry Wyndham issues that they've been having that we've been kind of talking about, but this was more about Dustin's um, relationship with Eric Watts. They've been really pushing Eric Watts like crazy on this show. And God, who, who I mean, history told us it was a bad idea. Holy shit. Now I know why. Not only because he sucked in the ring, but they were just cramming him down. Eric Watts in 1992 was what Roman Reigns was to wrestling right before he announced he had cancer. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Um, yeah, this was all about Eric Watts, and I thought we were going to get more progression on the Dustin Barry Windham uh, storyline, and we didn't. So um, a little disappointing here in this segment. Um, 
We then cut to a pre-tape interview with Jake the Snake Roberts. And he talks about not needing the snake and all he needs is the DDT. So he re- really had no effect on him that Watts had banned his reptile from ringside. Um, you see Watts, or I'm sorry, Jake the Snake with a little uh, bandage um, over his like lip area. Um result from the snake bite that took place at, at that Halloween Havoc match with Sting. Um, so, yeah, um, Jake Roberts looks like, uh, you know, is, is is bouncing back after that humiliating loss to Sting in the fucking coal miners glove match of all matches. Um, up next, we have Nikita Koloff going one-on-one and defeating J.R. King. Um, like any Nikita Koloff squash match overpowers him koloff over with that crowd in center stage um and ironically enough this was the last time nikita koloff wrestled before halloween havoc so technically halloween havoc was his last match he would no longer be in the company Uh, i think his contract expired and they decided not to renew it but um koloff wins with the russian sickle and then we get an interview that JR conducts with beautiful Bobby Eaton, Michael Hayes, and Paulie Dangerously. And uh, they're not happy with the way things have gone down in the Dangerous Alliance. Um, they want their power back, and they want to go back to the top by taking out Eric Watts tonight. And they hope that Bill Watts is watching, which then leads us to beautiful Bobby Eaton, along with Paulie Dangerously and Michael Hayes, going one-on-one with Eric Watts. And... Um, you know, beautiful Bobby Eaton, his resume speaks for itself. With the Midnight Express, both Dennis Condry and Stan Lane, his his tag team run with Arn Anderson, stuff he's doing in the Dangerous Alliance. Um, beautiful Bobby Eaton, one of the most criminally underrated performers in all of wrestling history. Really is. And even beautiful Bobby Eaton could not get a good match out of Eric Watts. Holy cow. This was this was awful. This sucked. No matter what Eaton did, Watts was just he was fucking awful. He couldn't do a single thing right in this match. Um Dangerously gets involved uh, when he tries to use the phone, but uh, argues with the referee. Watts lariats eaten over the top rope. Hates Hayes then comes in only to get a power slam from Watts. And of course. It's a dusty finish. Watts pins Michael Hayes. Crowd goes crazy. The referee realizes that, you know, it was a snafu and that, you know, it wasn't Bobby Eaton that that, that, that took the pinfall here. Um, Eaton comes in and then Watts trips him and does the awful Oklahoma roll for the win again. Um, Yeah. I mean, that was probably the only decent thing out of the match. Everything else sucked. Um and I hope that this was during the period of... I mean, actually, no, I shouldn't say that because I was going to say I hope this during the period of time when they realized time to not push Eric Watts, but holy cow, he'd be on the programming until at least the middle of 93. What the fuck? Um, we get a post-match temper tantrum from Paulie Dangerously, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, more, more, more seeds of dissension within the Dangerous Alliance. It's continuing to crumble. Um, the, the progression of the story with the Dangerous Alliance here. Um, beginning of the year, they're on top. Now, at the bottom of the barrel in WCW. Um, and then we get uh, Jim Ross interviewing Bill Watts. 
Uh, we go to commercial, I'm sorry, and we come back and JR interviews Bill Watts, who's with Shane Douglas, and he puts Douglas over um, and his athletic ability, but that says, due to some time constraints with the programming, we're going to see Douglas face Pillman next week, um, guaranteeing that that match will take place on next week's show. Pillman comes out and cock, in, in a very cocky manner, he says he doesn't want to have to wait to show Douglas who the better man is. Calls Watts bluff and says, let's have this match right now. Um, and Watts says, all right, man, let's hook him up. Let, you know, if we got time, we got a little bit of time, let's do it. And Douglas and, and Pillman, they head into the ring and both get into the brawl. And then, you know, the, 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 the famous folks, we're out of time. We got to go. And the show is over. And that was your edition of WCW Saturday Night from October the 31st, 1992. Overall, post-Halloween Havoc edition of Saturday Night, it was pretty fun. Um, but not as good as Superstars, I will say. Um, I watched Superstars, and man, that was the best Superstars I've ever watched since we've been doing this concept, I will say. But if anything, I'm giving Superstars a victory this week. I mean, you had Jimmy Hart turning on the Nasty Boys, helping Money, Inc. win the tag titles. We saw a head shrinker debut on uh, Superstars getting involved in that match as well. Um, I mean, so much stuff. Yoko Zuna's debut. Um, there was so much going on on that uh on that uh, the, uh, the the superstars episode that to me easily gets the victory over WCW Saturday night this week for episode 28 of marking out the days weekend warriors coming uh, covering October the 31st 1992. And with that being said, I think it's about that time that we uh, wrap it up this week. Thank you all so very much for being patient with me as we brought you another solo edition of Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors. I'm sure it's not as fun when it's just me doing it. So uh, hopefully Kobe can get back uh, with us next week after he handles some of his personal uh, real-life adult issues that we all go through because uh, I know I have them myself. So uh, hopefully Kobe can uh, come back and join us and we can continue doing what we love to do, chopping it up, talking WCW and WWF from 1992 don't forget hit us up on social media retromania at retromania pod on twitter as well as retromania on facebook retromania with a w um find all kinds of great links and archives to this show as well as some of the other great shows on the retromania pro wrestling podcast network and if you're looking to find out where you can find all the links to all the shows on the retromania pro wrestling podcast network you can find us on podbean but you can search any other podcast platform available google play apple podcasts spreaker stitcher spotify anywhere you can find a podcast you can find the retromania pro wrestling podcast network by searching retromania with a w and you can find all the backlog archive shows over there on all of those podcast platforms available and i think now it is officially time to call it a night so we will see you all next week